welcome to the Less Doing Podcast. Less Doing, more living, more living, more living, more living. Hi, I'm Ari Mizell, and this is the art of less doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Welcome back to Less Doing Podcast. This is episode 208, and welcome back, Nick. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so today, uh, actually, the interview was with Manish Sethi, who created the Pavlock. Do you have one, by the way? No. I don't get those sugar cravings, so I don't need to shock myself. Yeah, I think you should shock yourself anytime you have a, a, a negative thought. <laughs> <laughs> Be dead. <laughs> well, actually, that's one of the things that Manish does, apparently. Uh, and so one of the things that's interesting and relevant, uh, the, the day this podcast comes out, IFTTT will have announced a Pavlock integration. The thing is, the way he describes it to me, the interview is really good. It's it's fascinating what he's been able to help people with. He's using it almost for like, just for like notification stuff now. So IFTTT can, you know, if it's going to be raining, he can make it buzz. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to shock you. It's just like a notification system now for him. Um, so he's getting shocked like every hour now to remind himself to take a deep breath and relax, which is kind of counterintuitive to me. But um, anyway... I, I'm all for anything being integrated with IFTTT. Did you happen to ask him about the safety for kids? Because remember a couple of weeks ago I said, like, could you use it to reinforce to your kids like when they do something wrong? I didn't ask him about that, but one of the things that you can do now with the app is you can adjust the strength of it. Not that I would recommend using it on your kids per se, but yeah, that's I, that's, <laughs> I, I, I think that could go down a very bad path. It depends what they're associating with the shock with too, you know, because sometimes... Just because you think that it's something wrong, they don't necessarily understand what the wrong thing is, and that goes into a whole whole other area of of. Oh, also, I guess they don't have a say in it necessarily either. So that's that's uh, what's what was that experiment, uh, Milgram, right? The the Milgram experiment the, with the with the Stanford students, the prisoner the, the experiment. Shot. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll just leave that one alone. Um, so uh, the big news this week is that uh, I mean, you guys are going to hear this podcast on Wednesday. So tomorrow we start our first. BPO workshop, which we've been talking about for a while, is very, very exciting. We've got a really cool group of people coming. Nick and I are going to show them all how to take their businesses to the next level. So the the first link that I want to tell you about, have you ever been into juicing? I tried it once and I lasted until dinner time, and then I was so hungry that I went for a massive pasta. So uh, <laughs> I did a two-third day juice and it wasn't for me. Yeah. So the the thing is, is that there's an article in Daily Beast. Now, obviously, this is one of those things where you could find as many articles saying it's a good thing and as many saying it's a bad thing. I personally think that juicing is a bad thing. Uh, and this one says that it's bad for you and for the earth. And the, the main issue that I have with juicing, there's two main issues. One, the idea that you have to or that you can cleanse your body is really a, a, like a false one. Like it, it, there's no like magic cure for three days where you can suddenly fix everything. And a lot of people, when they, when they're juicing, they feel like crap to them. They think that that means it's working, but what's really happening in a lot of cases is that you're just shuttling out toxins in your organs and your system into your blood in some cases, and you're lacking the necessary protein and amino acids that you need to shuttle those toxins out of the body. Because there is no, there's no, you know, you're not getting those essential proteins. So, uh, in, in a lot of ways, you're really just making yourself more toxic, and it's completely temporary. 
And you're also like, if you want to talk about like paleo and stuff like that, cavemen weren't, I mean, I would imagine they weren't squashing, you know, their, their ripe oranges and then drinking the juice. Like you need to have the pulp, you need to have that fiber and you need to have all those things to get the, the full benefit of these foods. So juicing is just, it's really, it, it's not only not healthy in my opinion, but it, it really can have a negative effect on your health. I mean, every once in a while I'll make myself like a smoothie in the morning, like very rarely, but just to make sure that I'm getting some minimum amount of like vegetable and fruit. No, but that's different. But, that's totally fine. But in a lot of these juices, like there's so much sugar in them too, that it's kind of scary. And like third, third point is Eric Owens from Mushin. He says, don't do it. So I, I just go with whatever he says. <laughs> well, and Eric has been on the podcast and uh, definitely has a lot of nutrition knowledge. So, yeah, I, and that's the thing. It's like, so I do have a smoothie for breakfast usually, but a smoothie is, first of all, not the same thing as juicing. You know, with, real, with juicing, we're really talking about squeezing the liquid juice out of vegetables or fruits and then not having anything else that goes along with it. As you said, yeah, you're really super concentrating the sugars in some cases. It's just, it's just all around a bad idea. And usually it's really expensive too, so... And like you said, it's temporary. I mean, like, you know, like the day after you can go and put back on the three pounds that you lost. So. Yeah, exactly. And you're usually losing liquid weight or water weight anyway. Um, okay, so the next one, is, this one I actually want you to talk about, which is Gmailify. So Gmail has this new feature now called Gmailify. And uh, Nick, can you tell everybody about it? They've made it really easy to import like an Outlook or an Apple email into Google so that you can still keep your email but use the, all the Gmail features. And they've made just like a really easy import wizard to, to have that happen. Yeah, so Gmailify, essentially, you can link your Hotmail account, your Outlook account, your whatever IMAP account you want, and then benefit from all of the Gmail features, such as the archiving, the searching, uh, and, and any of the plugins that you might want to use. So it's, it's great. There's, there's no longer an excuse, not that there was before necessarily, but there really isn't an excuse to, uh, to not be using Gmail anymore. Okay, so then the next one is called Smart Moderation. So the, this is kind of specific, but the reason I bring this up is because it's something that, it's one of those things where you usually have to have this done manually, and anytime there's something that has to be done manually that now we can do in an automated way, I, I always like to kind of share that. So this is basically about stopping inappropriate comments on Facebook and Instagram automatically. So this is like a big thing. We actually, one, this is something that the, that our VAs do for several clients, where they're moderating either blogs or Facebook pages, and they're looking for, you know, not necessarily something that disagrees with the provider or the the poster, but more like things that are just really negative or racist or swearing or whatever. And, and now this service called Smart Moderation will actually do it with artificial intelligence, it's, it's, and it's really good. So if you are in that world and you need to be moderating that kind of stuff, this is a really great tool called Smart Moderation. And by the way, there was a really great article, which I, I think I tweeted about, about robots ta or like basically about automation getting rid of jobs. And this is like a constant debate with people where they talk about how, uh, you know, the more we automate, we're losing jobs and, and people are getting out of work for it. And the truth is, I, I mean, I've never agreed with that. And I think that if a computer can put someone out of a job, then that job, then they're, they're probably not being utilized correctly, that person and their resources and what they're capable of doing. And one of the things that this study that I found showed was that there's been this massive increase in really interesting jobs, actually. You know, so like, on a, it, it, this is pretty black and white, but over the years, 
type, typography jobs have gone down significantly. So people who need to typeset or who even need to do like layout, that kind of things. And then graphic design jobs have gone up enormously, you know, because there are always, or for at least a long time, there are going to be more and more things that computers cannot do and that humans are better at doing. One of the jobs that is, and I'm curious to hear your take on this, Nick, but one of the jobs that apparently is the least secure in terms of what this study was saying is financial services. You know, or financial services managers, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, because, I mean, right, unless you're, like, a very, very skilled, uh, fu- you know, fund manager or, like, you're really noticing trends, a lot of the stuff that many financial services advisors do is pretty formulaic. They're trained to do something in a certain way, and they do it, right? So why can't a computer do that? Yeah, I mean, I, I never saw a lot of value in a lot of those positions. But, um, yeah, it make, makes sense. And plus, with all, like, the regulation and everything happening on Wall Street, it, it really isn't a secure job to be anywhere in finance right now. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, uh, th- that's from smart moderation. Uh, so this one is interesting. This is almost more for a point of information. I, I don't really need to explain why this is useful, I think. But there's a new plugin for Gmail called Vocus, V-O-C-U-S. And it does a lot of things that we already can do with like follow-up.cc and stuff, but it, it combines it all in a very nice way. So it offers email tracking, meeting coordination, delaying the sending of emails and you can put snippets in like canned responses and stuff so merely this is like for a point of information if you you can do do those things with other tools of course but uh this just puts it all into one nice little package and i I thought it was actually pretty well done yeah we should check it out i mean there's so many of these services now back to your point though on the last thing like a, a lot of clients have said the same like when we've given pitches on bpo a big concern of some of the employees is like well am i going to be out of a job and it's like, no, if you're good, you'll adapt and you'll be doing higher value, you know, items or, or, or tasks that will bring more value to the company than previously. Or it'll force you to learn a new skill set. But I mean, it's it's ridiculous to say that it's bad. I mean, this is how the world moves forward is you, you know, you improve systems. You know, it's it's not like you're going to say like taxis aren't allowed and you have to take a horse and carriage to get around because it's going to put taxis out of, out of business, you know, like right. if there's a more efficient way to do something, the world should do it. And then it forces people to up their game and do stuff that can't be automated. Yeah, I, I, exactly. Uh, and that's the thing is what, what people should understand about that is it's not only about reallocating resources and that resource could be a human to something that is quote unquote better, but it's also means that there's an opportunity for more interesting jobs, like, you know, more creative, more higher use of our brains. And the truth is also that, uh, and actually Seth Godin said this really well, uh, I think in my interview with him, but also in the interview with, with Tim Ferriss about how one of those things that we can't compete with other countries on, you know, we, obviously there's the cheap labor issue. He said, but we can't out obedience them. You know, so you have people who in other countries will just work for lower wages and just grind and grind and grind and they'll do the work and that's fine and that's great. And we definitely don't seem to be able to compete with that in the American labor market. But what we can do is use our creative faculties better. Yeah. And look, I I was an algorithmic trader for, for eight years and like it was all automated trading. But like my specialty was to one, implement the automations and then two, it's a skill set in itself to understand how all the automations work because if there is a problem or if something needs to be adjusted, it takes a special skill set to deeply understand how everything is intertwined and to make an adjustment if, if, if needed. So it might get rid of some jobs, but it also is creating 
the opportunity for newer jobs that require a higher skill set, yeah. which is maintaining these automations and setting them up. That's right. Exactly. And not to beat a dead horse here, but the other thing also is that I think it really enables more and more people to go from being uh, employees to being freelancers and then possibly even entrepreneurs because of these tools that are so available to us for for cheap or for free in some cases that allow us to automate these things and test these things. So you have somebody who is who can be in a nine to five job and still set up another company and see if it or even or or at least at the very least test it and see if it's a good idea. And that is absolutely a direct benefit of automation. Um, okay, so this one uh, is is interesting, uh, but it also may be relevant to you specifically, Nick, for for Calvin and, and stuff. Uh, it's called "Since You've Been Gone," and it's basically it says you can deliver personalized on-site and email product updates. And basically, what they're showing, which I thought was really cool, is that you can specifically show a user anything that has been updated since they last saw it. So, like. The guy that really came up with this is Kevin Hale, the CEO of uh, Wufu, and they do a great job. You're, you ever go to Wufu and it says, since you've been gone here, and there's like a dinosaur image and here's yeah. all things. Yeah, like I think they were like one of the first people to do something like this. And it, it's really been, I, I, I heard a talk and he said how effective it was. Well, it's really interesting because on the one hand, you can provide a much smaller piece of information, which means that they're much more likely to read it, obviously. And then, you know, it, it feels like it's personalized. It feels very relevant. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and the thing is, is you never know when a specific up, like some update that you make to your app or your service or whatever it is, is suddenly becomes relevant to the person who's going to see it at that point. Right. So this is really cool since you've been gone. Um, okay. Uh, and then, uh, there's two more. There's an article from barking up the wrong tree, which is one of my favorite sites called, this is the most fun way to make your life awesome. Basically it's about gamifying almost everything that you do. And they want you to find out what your next level is, right? So you, you want to think, what is the next level? It's kind of funny because Nick and I, whenever we have like a big win in something, we're usually texting or, or not texting, we're slacking each other and saying like, I just did some next level shit. <laughs> so that's, that's typically, we're always trying to get to the next level, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they say, find out what your next level is, uh, reward yourself with things that reward you back and get a secret identity. So uh, boring stuff is more fun when you're a superhero. Uh, play multiplayer. Everything is better with the support of friends, especially saving the world. And the hero must sacrifice something to achieve happiness. So make others happy. M making others happy makes you happy. So uh, more or less, this is to say that you should gamify things in your life. And that is something that I do agree with. And I feel like, you know, you, you can put points on almost anything you do. And Nick and I do that certainly with the virtual assistant company. And we're always dealing with how many cards we've gotten done with Trello. And there, there's always some way to sort of quantify and at the same time gamify the things that you're working on. And it helps. Well, and I do it with, with Calvin too. Like we do like a, a version of Scrum there and we, we put points on Trello cards. And then we know that roughly we do 60 points, Scrum points a, a week. And then, you know, we're, we're plotting it and uh, keep track of, you know, how many you've done this week, how many do you normally do? And then you can, you know, you can clearly see if you're like in line or way above or below what your average output is. Yeah, exactly. And even with the VA stuff, we're, we're using, what is it called? Um, is it grow, Growbot? For yeah, the, Growbot. The, yeah, for, for the props and, and everyone can give props to each other when they do a good job. So we're kind of gamifying that in that sense. Absolutely. So we have like a leaderboard in some ways of how people are working in the team. Um, okay. And then the last thing is there an article in Medium called 15 things insanely productive people do differently. I love these, I love these kinds of articles. And, uh, it, it a lot of times I feel like they're usually wrong. 
but uh, I, I thought this was good. And I want to frame this with something very important, that just because insanely productive people do these things doesn't mean that if you do them, you will become insanely productive. Uh, and I, I did a video this past week for the boot camp talking about morning routines and how I don't have a morning routine because I, I really am not in a position where I can. Uh, and morning routines are fantastic if you can have them, and they probably will help you in some way or another, but not having a morning routine is not an excuse and suddenly having a morning routine is not going to turn you into some superhero. It just doesn't. I mean, all these are, before you tell me, let me let me try to take a guess. They work out they <laughs> somewhat early. They um, sleep around seven hours. They meditate. Am I right so far? Uh, so you you would be right. That's usually how these articles go. This one uh, puts it in a slightly different light, which I like. So. Uh, I'll go through a couple of these really quick. So the first one is, uh, well, the second one, they know where they want to go. Okay. So that's good. That's fair. I think that usually you have, a set, you know, and this is not goal setting. This is just like, you know, you have like your eye on the prize kind of like, you know what you're trying to do. You're not just sort of flailing around waiting for something to happen. So that I like that. Uh, they don't care what other people are doing that. I don't necessarily agree with. And they're basically saying like people don't, they don't spend time worrying about their competition. But at the same time, I think that you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't know what's happening in your world and your industry, right? So I don't agree with that one. Um, they don't care what other people think. I also don't agree with that one. <laughs> I think that it's very easy to put yourself in a box and be like, oh, I'm going to just be, I'm, I'm heads down, you know, which you know, I hate that expression. Uh, and I'm just going to do this and get it done. And like, doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. And the truth is, is that the, I think that if you have an appropriate and consistent feedback loop, to whatever you're doing, even if that means people giving you negative feedback for saying, I think that that's important. I think you need that, like that, um, finger on the pulse kind of. Yeah. I mean, like getting feedback from our clients and from our VAs has been, we wouldn't be anywhere close to where we're at if we didn't have a strong feedback loop and open-minded towards negative feedback. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and then they, but this one I do agree with, they say, but they care intensely about those they serve that I do agree with. This is the opposite of actually what they just said, which is that you're not putting yourself in this box. You are connecting yourself to something that has sort of a greater purpose. I, I think that you and I would both agree, or I think you would agree with me, that w we really see the work we're doing as uh, very, very helpful to like people and their businesses and their lives and you know maybe even society at large <laughs> when we're helping people be more effective and productive with their time. Like it's not just, this is not just grinding gears. Like I really, I think that we're doing very important work. Yeah, definitely. You know, and we care, and we do care about that. Uh, the, point number six here. Yeah, their work is their art. It's highly personal. Um, so that I also agree with because, for example, Nick and I obsess about productivity and efficiency, and we have this dashboard, and we're always tweaking things. And that is, in a lot of ways, it is our art, and it is creative. As Nick just said, with the algorithmic trading, it's not just about creating an automation. It's really about seeing the whole picture and how it connects and what makes the most sense. And that is the art of what we do that results in a lot of science. They don't need permission. That I agree with also. So this is, this goes back to the Jack Ma video about poor people waiting for everything. You know, so like we don't wait for anything. <laughs> I think like we just like, especially what we're doing. And, and I don't mean to be like bullish or anything with people, but sometimes you can't rely on a committee to make a decision. And sometimes you have to just try something. And we're very, very big on that. There, there are times when Nick and I will tell each other ideas for things that the other one doesn't necessarily agree with. But I would say that 100% of the time, you and I have taken the attitude of let's try it. And that's important 
You know, and that, that's, that's a very important version of not waiting. I'm not saying like, you know, somebody has to necessarily jump into a new market that they don't understand. Like, that's not what we're talking about. But you have to seize opportunities when you can. And that opportunity may be to test something. Yeah, we're constantly testing things. And it's interesting because like from building an app, we test, you know, should the color be red or green or should, should we allow for this feature or that versus us? Like we're testing, hey, like since we're managing a team of VAs and clients, it's like, hey, should we automatically write an email to a client saying that we're waiting for them or not. So it's like, it's a, it's, it's still a test. It's, a, it's just interesting that for our business, the testing is totally different, but we are constantly testing. Well, look at number eight, they learn through doing. Yeah. And so, yes, that I agree with as well. Um, so they do. Yes. I think that that makes sense. Um, they don't take themselves too seriously. Uh, okay. Like that one. Okay. Like, I, I guess that's probably true to some extent, but I definitely know there are certain people who take themselves way too seriously when it comes to productivity. And those are usually the people who have the 17-step morning routines, honestly, in my opinion. Um, and that the problem with that is that it's, it, it's, it's setting you up for failure, I think, honestly. So they ask for help. That I agree with. They drop what's not working. I definitely agree with that. And then uh, the very last one is they constantly prune their lives. And that I agree with as well. You know, so we're always trying to like subtract in order to add. What Joe talks about, like uh, your not to do list. Exactly, exactly. So that's it for today, everybody. We're going to be at this workshop uh, tomorrow and Friday. So uh, we'll have some really good stuff to report on the next podcast. And I hope you all have a very productive week. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Art. The Less Doing Podcast pulls together the top experts in the industry to help you optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life so you can start doing the things you really want to do again. What would you do if you could only work an hour a day? Would you crumble or would you thrive? When I was sick with Crohn's disease, I was faced with that reality because there were days when I literally couldn't eke out more than an hour of work a day. And I had to figure out ways to not only get everything done, but get more done than I was doing before. And that is how Less Doing was born. Less Doing is about you. It's the easiest way to learn and implement a huge amount of productivity tips into your life in a short amount of time. Whether you're a crazy busy business owner, a tired executive in a large company, or a stressed out soccer mom, we've brought it all together for you to help you overcome the overwhelm in your life. For the latest how-tos and actual tips on becoming more productive, sign up for my newsletter over at lessdoing.com. But I want to offer you all something more. As listeners of this podcast, I want to give you the opportunity to get on the phone with one of my less doing certified coaches. I've trained each one of them myself, and they really know what they're doing. The first call is completely free, and you will get some real advice and tips on how you can be more productive in your life and get back to making things easier again. Thanks for listening, and now enjoy the interview. So now I'm speaking with Manish Sethi, who is the founder of the Pavlock, and uh, not a stranger to this podcast. He's been on it before, and we've got some really cool updates for you. And it's it's always fun to see the developments that are happening with this device that I have personally recommended to a lot of people. So, uh, Manish, thank you for taking the time to talk to me again. No, man, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. You're, I'm a big fan of, of Less Doing, and, and I'm a big fan of you. Thank you very much. So for those who don't know what the Pavlock is, just tell them real quick. Sure. So Pavlock is a wearable device that helps users reduce cravings and break bad habits. 
It uses vibration, beep, and a mild electric stimulus that we call a zap that can help you create Pavlovian associations, helping you break bad habits in five days or less. Yeah, so this is awesome, by the way, because one of the things that we're often dealing with, or I'm often dealing with people who are trying to make or break a habit uh, in terms of productivity usually, and bad habits can certainly be distracting from your productivity. So I'm, I personally used it to get rid of my snacking issue. And I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I, I it's not necessarily on like unhealthy things, but I, I think it's just, I think it's partly because of like having the kids around and stuff. I just got in this mode a while ago where I was like constantly snacking. And again, it wasn't necessarily that it was on bad food, but regardless, if you're snacking, it's just very hard to have like regular blood sugar levels. And it was, it was a pain. And the first time I put on the, the Pavlock, I, I didn't snack again. And it was like, it was amazing. It was night and day. Uh, and, and I think a, an important thing to point out to people, which is there's, you've updated this now, of course, and we'll talk about that, but you're shocking yourself primarily. Sure. Uh, so until today, you're the first person who I'm talking to about things that are more that make it more of a smart device and less of just a self-administered device. But the core use case of our product is to help you, you break a bad habit and you don't need a smartphone at all. It's um, even uh, self-administered. Basically, it's like, have you ever, if you have any friends who drank too much tequila one night and they get really sick and then they suddenly the smell and the flavor of tequila changes, mm-hmm. even though they did it to themselves and they like, they used to love it. it the, the, the aversion is created because your rep, because your reptile brain just likes to do specific things or like specific flavors. And it's never had anything bad at the instant of doing it that makes it train itself away. When you add any kind of negative stimulus at the same time as doing the, ha- the bad habit, your reptile brain instantly creates a connection between the two and makes your, your prefrontal cortex aware that it's happening. So self-administered works just as well as automated, best, automated zap. So, and that, it, but, it, which, and, and I get it, but I want to, I want to delve into this a little bit deeper so people understand. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're actually supposed to do, you, like you're almost supposed to do the bad behavior while you're training yourself, right? Yeah, there's a couple ways to use it. And it, when you grab the pro- when you buy the product in the um, instruction manual, we have five ways of how to use Pavlock without a smartphone. So it's like uh, how to reduce cravings and how to break bad habits. And those are similar but very different. Uh, so making yourself reduce cravings is simple. Whenever you catch yourself doing the, the, the item, like let's say you go to a party and there's sugar everywhere and you want to reduce the urge, just simply look at the sugar, think about it, and zap yourself a few times. It'll snap you out of this like – uh, this like lustful automatic mode and makes you makes the craving just subside. But if you want to reduce the ha- the habit or remove it altogether for good, like quitting smoking or quitting sugar in your case, what you'll do is you'll actually make yourself do the habit on purpose for five minutes a day for five days. You'll set a timer and you're going to do the action on purpose while you zap yourself. So it might be biting your nails, force yourself to bite your nails and zap yourself every bite. You're going to want to quit, but just push through for five days for five minutes a day. By the end of the five minutes, you're going to hate doing the nail biting. And because you made yourself overdo it, it's similar to when you catch a kid smoking a cigarette and you make your kid smoke the entire pack so he overdoes it. It will – you have to force yourself to overdo it and in that way the bad habit gets destroyed for good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So do you find that it's as effective for breaking a bad habit as it is for helping to create a good one? So I find that it's more effective for breaking a bad habit right, yeah. and forming a good habit is a completely different process. It's actually a really interesting question you ask because for the first year and a half of Pavlock, we were a forming habits company. Yeah, I, I know. Uh, 
Yeah, and so it's funny when you change when it changes like that. Um, so the difference between breaking a bad habit and forming a good habit is this: forming a good habit is pretty simple to do. It's consistency. If you do the same action after the same trigger enough days in a row, somewhere between twenty and sixty-six days, the action stops reducing willpower uh, from the prefrontal cortex and start and becomes completely a habit affixed in the basal ganglia part of the brain. But it requires twenty-one days of at least twenty-one days of consistent doing that action before it becomes purely automatic. On the other hand, a bad habit can be broken a lot faster because a bad habit simply needs a few pattern interrupts. Basically, a habit is when some impulse causes an action with no, with no time in between. By adding the zap, it adds sort of an instant of awareness in between that urge and the action item. And that instant of awareness for you was a one-time thing that allowed you to quit snacking for good. For some people, that instant of awareness allows them to continue to do the bad habit while they press the button, and that instant over a period of five days creates a mass aversion to where the flavor changes permanently. Those are two yeah. different ways to use it for different types of people, but in, a, in all cases, it's easier to break a bad habit than form a new one. That makes sense because I, I did find there were certain times where, and because I, I, I wasn't engaged in the behavior, I'm sorry, was not engaging in the behavior because as I said, it worked right away, but there were definitely times where I zapped myself and then I continued to like justify in my mind why it would be okay this time, mm -hmm. you know, and then it zapped myself again and that seemed to work too. So I, I don't know if, it, if you can get that granular, but am I also associating the reasoning with myself as to why it's okay with the negative aspect as well? We found that it kind of just quiets the urge yeah. in the brain. It just it kind of shuts up your reptile brain and it makes you aware. So like that voice in your head that's always making you do stuff you don't want to do, like that voice, it just needs a little bit of training. And that's your, your, the ability of you to press the button. It's like the prefrontal cortex human you is pressing the button to quiet the reptile brain basal ganglia part of you. Right. And it's a tool in that, in that way. But now you do actually have a way to help create a good habit, such as the, the, with the waking up early. Sure. Yeah. So um, we found that at the core of what we're doing, it's actually just sensory input. We're basically a device that allows you to trigger sensory input. And one of those senses happens to be a zap. But uh, we also can vibrate and beep and shine LEDs. And um, well, what we found is really interesting is that I guess if we if we really break it down and still at the core, what's what the what the shock with the zap is really doing is it's just making you become aware. It's signaling your prefrontal cortex to take control. So sleeping is a great example. And this one is actually surprising to me more than anybody else. I'm the kind of guy who wakes up too early and I've always tried to get myself to go back to sleep, but I can't. So I never wanted an alarm clock because I already wake up too early. On the other hand, we found that a lot of our users wake up in the morning really groggy and hit the snooze button and they build it into their routine. Like the alarm goes off at five so they can hit the snooze button four times. So they'll get up at you know five at six or something. Um, which is ridiculous. Why would you do that to yourself? And right. so what we did is we started implementing an alarm clock. And the alarm, alarm clock is really simple. It's a shocking alarm clock. It starts to vibrate to wake you up at the time you want it to wake you up. And if you don't wake up in about 30 seconds to a minute, it'll start to lightly increase a zap. And that zap will get stronger and stronger until you basically get up. And what we found is really interesting. It's, it's actually really interesting to me is that number one, everybody gets up. Like you get up to yeah. when you're getting zapped repeatedly, you get up and you get up with like alertness. Like, well, that's what I would say. That's got to wake you up with like a little bit of vigor. It wakes you up with vigor. And other people say, a lot of times people say like, oh, I would never want to wake up that way. I don't want to wake up that way. But it's not, it's interesting because the users who actually use it will say the words like, I've actually woken up alert. I've woken up ready to go. I've woken up with adrenaline. 
But what's really curious to me is that typically by day three, usually often by day two, but uh, typically by day three, the user will wake up before the vibration even hits, a few seconds to a minute before the first alarm goes off. It's like they've trained their brain to chronologically, like at the hour of, know that something is coming that is gonna be an aversive and wake up in advance to be prepared for it. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah. It reminds sure. me of like when I used to my, I used to live in Sacramento and my sisters went to school at Berkeley. And I, I remembered as a kid, my parents would drive me home all the time. And I'd always wake up like exactly one street before we got home. Yeah. And it was Oh no, totally. There's the people that wake up on the subway like that. Absolutely. Yeah, right. And you, you you think that like maybe there's a bump or something, but it's never a bump. It's that your brain is habitually trained, somehow part of it's awake or something, to recognize that it's gonna be getting up in a second. So it might as well get up a second a minute earlier. And so we found that the alarm clock works both to wake you up, but also to train you to become an early riser, which I find really cool. Yeah. So with regards to the alarm clock, we, it's a Pavlock product right now. If you buy it on Amazon or on our website, it's uh, like 200 bucks and it comes with, uh, you can download apps from the app store, a variety of apps. And right now the, the two apps that are like at the moment of this call, the two apps on the app store are uh, Pavlock Break Bad Habits, which is like a course platform for breaking specific habits. And then the second one is Pavlock Alarm Clock, which is an alarm clock itself. We're toying around with the idea about releasing a pure alarm clock. So it only works with the alarm clock app. And it's just an alarm clock, lower price, just for people who really want to start waking up earlier as well. Yeah, it's funny because that's a big one for like so many people. And I've had people ask me in my boot camp, like, how do I recommend to become a morning person? And my first question is honestly, like, why would, why do you want to become a morning person? Um, you know, cause some people don't, uh, I mean, I, I'm usually up at five most mornings. So I, but that doesn't make me a morning person, you know? So it's like, just cause you're going to be awake doesn't mean you're going to be more productive necessarily. Also the thing about the alarm clock that you said that I think is interesting is that we have three toddlers and three boys and you know in any given night one of them will wake up and i have this like i've sort of trained myself like i'm up and out of the bed and into the hallway and i grab them up and put them back in bed like i think before either of us really wakes up but i have this like jolt of adrenaline i get out of bed so quickly it's not like a groggy thing ever and so i can see how the shock would be very similar yeah it's 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 to, to me i find it really interesting because I know that I'm a morning person, but I, and I also know that the most productive periods of my life have been periods where I had a strict morning routine. Mm -hmm. I found that you could chunk morning routines into one and create one single habit that encompassed like six good habits at the same time. So like my morning routine used to be wake up, have a glass of water, write in a journal for 30 minutes, brush and floss, meditate, put on gym clothes, go outside. And that was my morning routine every day for like six months. And it seems like a lot of good habits to form at the same time, like flossing and uh, exercise and meditation and journaling. But because it was encompassed in this morning ritual, I was able to, to create all of these habits at the same time, and it took like an hour. And so what we're trying to do with the alarm clock, as an alarm clock, as a standing alarm clock, is pretty simple, right? Shocks to wake you up. But we built also a, a Chrome extension. That's a productivity Chrome extension that lets you connect with your Pavlock and it knows what websites you're on and it knows your productivity level as measured through a, a partner app called Rescue Time. Yeah, and it which I recommend you, also. So Yeah, if you, if you have it, I'm sure you know Rescue Time. But anyway, it lets you um, set kind of your goals. And when you combine the two, we're working on making the alarm clock combine really well with the productivity extension because I want it to be created such that you wake up on time, you wake up alert, and then you have to do these X really important activities, whatever they might be. Otherwise, 
there's a little bit of a negative reinforcer that will come into play. And in that way, we can kind of recreate, like what you can do with an extra hour of life is so fascinating. Like in one hour a day, you can create a whole new multi-million dollar business in a year, you know? Right. People, <laughs> right? And what, for us. Exactly. Right? But most people spend that one hour wasted on, on Facebook or on Twitter, spend that one hour wasted watching TV um, or a lot of people watching porn. A lot of our users use it for porn. And that like, and in the morning too, it was quite confusing, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like a compulsive, like, and anyway, um, so I found that like adding the extra hour into your life is important, but adding the extra, extra, the right hour into your life, adding the right el elements into that hour is doubly important. And my goal over the next few months with our productivity alarm suite is to make those two things combined so that you'll wake up early and then you'll execute on those important actions and that will make you a much more successful person. No, and then obviously it, it, it's a huge impact from this small little change. So wh what are you using it for right now? So I use the productivity extension a lot for, um, for uh, opening too many tabs and not going on Reddit, Hacker News, Pop URLs, all these other websites. Um, I use the Pavlock for a lot for negative thoughts. So every time I have this, I have this recurring thought whenever I leave, a building that I've helped get control over. Um, I use it to get over my ex-girlfriend. Um, I use it a wow. lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a big one for me. Um, wait, 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 tell me about that one. So, so like anytime you thought about her, you'd zap yourself. Yeah. So it's, uh, every time I thought about her, I'd zap myself. And then I started to catch specific triggers that were making me think about her. So like items in the room. So whenever, whenever I think about her, it used to be an automatic activity, but I started to catch myself at the trigger point. So I throw away those items and then I remember like I just looked at photos of her and zapped, uh, zapped myself repeatedly until she like became unattractive to me. <laughs> that was a big I mean that's a, that, no but that's huge because I, I, like I wouldn't have thought of anything like that because you're talking about like I, I feel like a lot of people wouldn't necessarily think of that as like a habit that they could break. You know, so that's yeah, that's Negative really thoughts. cool. We have this one story. I got to tell you the story because it blows my mind every time I, I, I tell it. Um, so we had this one patient, one user of ours who had a depression, severe clinical depression. And she asked if Pavlov could help with that. And I was like, look, I don't know. We can't help with anything chemical in the brain. I, I don't know what to say about that. But what I do know is that I believe a lot of depression is just a – Oh, it's identifying triggers. Yeah, but it's also a habitual thought thinking process in the brain. Like yeah. go down this track of sadness. And so I said – if you have depression, that's a habit. Here's what you should do. Every day you catch yourself in a depressing state, zap yourself twice, smile, and text me where you are. On the first day, she caught herself at work. On the second day, she caught herself on the way to work. On the third day, she caught herself reaching for her front door. Fourth day, front door. Fifth day, front door. I said, what's up with your front door? Well, there was a vase sitting next to her front door. And ever since she was, when she was 16, she and her twin sister had a birthday party. Her sister got a ton of gifts and she got nothing. So her sister said, here, have this flower vase. That flower vase was triggering these thoughts of nobody loves me. Nobody cares. Holy cow. I know. So she texted me and I was like, look, throw away it. Break it. She said, I'll put it away. I'm like, no, do not put it away. Get rid of it. Throw it away right now. The next day she texts me at 4 PM. She's like, holy crap. I have not felt depressed all day. What's going on? That, that trigger was the actual cause of the depression. And I don't want to say she's like forever cured or anything, but she definitely loves the fact that that vase has changed her outlook on life. So we're finding that a lot of these small minor triggers and a lot of the zap, the zap is like as much, an, it's as much an awareness creator as it is an aversive trainer. And I find that to be extremely powerful. 
just making you aware of the triggers that are causing these habitual thoughts or habitual actions to occur can be almost a superpower in itself. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is for me, honestly, because the sna- like the snacking was it was mindless. I mean, I, I'm sure that like when I was stressed, it was something that I was turning to, but it was really just mindless. It's like there's food there, I'll eat it, you know. And this just brought that awareness back. So I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> I don't actually want this anymore. Yeah, right. I don't even. I'm not even hungry, you know. So uh, that yeah, wow, um, that's a great story. So yeah. uh, the the last question I always like to ask on these interviews is what and <laughs> you're something fun. What 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 are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? <laughs> what are my top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? Um, before I tell you the answer to this, can I just tell you one more use case I've been using Pavlock for? Absolutely. We have this open platform for users who want to use it, where you can partner up with a friend and you each have a URL that you can vibrate, beep, and zap and send messages to each other through the internet. Um, and if your users want to try it out, it's pavlock.com forward slash shock Manish will let you zap me and send me messages. And I found And by the way, he's not kidding. I've done this to him. So it's cool. It used to be anonymous, but now you have to sign in with Facebook. So I know who's zapping me. So it's kind of calmed down people being mean. Uh, but anyway, so, uh, we, we, we have a lot of accountability groups together and actually my personal trainer does the same thing with me. So once a day or twice a day, he'll text me and be like, he used to just text me and now he'll send me a push. So he'll vibrate my wrist and say, hey, make sure you're walking. Make sure you're getting enough water. Um, And accountability partners on our Facebook group often partner up with each other and they'll each message each other around like noon and say, hey, have you walked 5,000 steps? And if they have it, they'll zap each other. And we found that this accountability friendship, but with actual negative ramifications, not just somebody checking up on you, but if you you don't respond, they can zap you repeatedly, has a really cool effects both for communication and for – sticking through with the behavior change. Anyway, back to your question. Top three things to be more effective. So the number one, so okay, the top three habits are pretty clean and everybody knows the answer to this. So my first answer is sleep on time and wake up early and at the, and at the same time every day, drink enough water, eat healthy and be fit. Obviously, right? Seems so simple, yet for some reason nobody does it. Uh, <laughs> so my first answer is actually make those a priority. Those are the things that you should really do. And you can start it off slowly. You can do it fast, but become the kind of person who does those three or four keystone habits and everything else will naturally occur. So secondly, I would say to begin forming habits in a very planned fashion, decide upon them in the morning. Most people have more willpower in the morning. So try to chunk the good behaviors earlier in the morning so you can finish on time and then try to have a specific separate destination from the end of the day and working day. So like there's a very clean 5 p.m. or 7 p.m. or 9 p.m. break, whatever it might be. And my last one is actually really interesting because I'm writing a blog post on this right now. I've noticed that the layout of your house and the layout of your room drastically affects the kind of person you become. And that when you move to a new city, the what the things that you do to lay out your house and the things that you do on the first day in that city kind of make you who you are. And uh, I recently just moved apartments and I called up three behavioral psychologists, uh, Dan Ariely, Nir Ayal, and BJ Fogg, asking how would you lay out your apartment if you wanted to maximize productivity? And their answers were obvious and great. It was like, don't have a TV. And I'm like, oh God, that's such a good idea. And they were like, don't have a TV, um, buy only small plates because you tend to eat less when you have a smaller plate, label your food in the kitchen, uh, have only standing chairs or drafting chairs, and, and have specific rules about your house. Like don't have any unhealthy foods or behaviors in the house. If you're going to eat something unhealthy, you have to do it outside the house. 
And I found that a, a quick relayout of my house and a quick rule set of nothing unhealthy in the house. I'm allowed to eat all the, the crappy food I want, but I have to do it outside, even just in the hallway, but outside my room. That, that like one big, uh, one day of a big room shift transformed everything else just naturally. So those awesome. are my big three. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Manish. And, and everyone can go to pavlock.com and we'll have links to that in the show notes. And yeah, if you go to pavlock.com forward slash Ari, I'll, uh, I'll send it over with, I'll, I'll have extra information and stuff directly for users and probably a big discount as well. Thanks, man. Awesome talking to you as always. Take care, man. Thank okay. you. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com where you can look at Ari's blog, see the show notes for this episode, and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we would love to hear from you and we'll play it on the show. You go to lessdoing.com, click on contact, and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a, a send voicemail button. Click on that and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Mizell and mine is at Felix Bird. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.